So I got a question for you to start my sermon this morning. We're going back to talk about our next steps. And so think about steps. Here's my question. And some of you, and literally you can answer out loud for this one. I want you to participate along. At what age, approximately, should a child begin to walk? Some of you that know better than me or remember better than me, tell me, at what age should a child begin to walk? One? Okay. At what age do you begin to get worried if your child is not walking? Two? Someone else? Kind of depends. Every kid is different. I mean, yeah, somewhere along the way, you go back to your physician and you say, um, hey, you know, and they make sure everything is all right with your child. But what are the concerns? And other than prayer, once your child is older than they should be and they haven't begun to walk, what sort of things do you do? What are the prescriptions? What are the solutions? How do you fix that problem? You know, we have an expectation that as a child grows from being an infant or a newborn to a toddler, they should begin toddling, that there are things that they should be able to do that they weren't able to do as well, that they should learn to walk, and then they should begin to learn to talk and do things for themselves. And there's physical growth, there's attaining of knowledge, there's personal maturity. Now I'm getting beyond, you know, just being a toddler. But there's developing values, there's forming a worldview, that all these things happen as our children grow through their elementary school ages to middle school to high school and until we launch them out in the world. Those are our expectations of child development. But what about the parallel in the forming of Christ's character within individuals? Growing us as Christ followers. Do we see that as clearly? Why is it that some believers in Jesus, they trust Christ as their Savior, and it's quite evident that they've become a believer in Jesus, and they start out okay, but then somewhere along the way, they plateau or they decline. And it seems as if they're no longer growing in maturity, that their values do not look like biblical values, that their worldview does not reflect a Christ-like outlook, that their life doesn't look much different than the secular, humanistic lives that we see of people who don't call Jesus their Savior. When we think about taking next steps as believers in Jesus, it's about a pathway or a process of discipleship. And we have them on the wall here in the building to remind us of that. And yes, you're going to hear a sermon about it, oh, at least once a year, if not twice a year, for me to remind us about it, that these next steps are expected, that these next steps are natural, that it should not be an exception for a believer in Jesus not to work through each of these seven next steps because, oh, you know, well, you know, they can make their own decisions. And isn't it funny that we expect children to grow a certain way, and if they don't, we take them to the doctor. But we don't have that same expectation necessarily of followers of Jesus because, well, that's between them and God, or we don't want to you know, meddle in their business, or we don't want to treat them like they're less mature. Well, if they are less mature, maybe we should kindly treat them that way. Life is still upside down for us. 
when we preach the uh, uh, when life turns upside down sermon series back in March and April, we all hoped that by July or by August. COVID-19 would be a thing of the past, and our kids would be going to school like normal, and football would, oh wait, I just said that, would be happening, and go big red, and all those other kind of things, but it hasn't. And that's why I think it's more important than ever that we think about this from Titus, and that's Titus, and it's chapter 1, verse 15, and the reason it's from Titus, and I'm talking about Next Step today, is that next Sunday I start a new sermon series called For the Faith that will walk us through the book of Titus in seven sermons through September and October, which I'm totally jazzed about. You know I love to preach expository, and it's the third and final uh, pastoral epistle. So we get to see the instructions Paul gives to his son in the ministry, Titus, and tells Titus, here's how to pastor, but also tells the church there at Crete, here's how to be a church, right? And here's how to follow Jesus. But let's say this together our first time, Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. Titus 1.15. Wow. I'm looking forward to start Titus next week, but let's pray together today. God, our Father, we come before you, and as always, we ask that you would speak to us in the midst of this time together this morning, in this building or in our homes, that you would speak to us about the next step you'd have us to take, that we might grow as Christ followers. God, make us humble. Make us submissive. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. At the top of your sermon outline today, and that's linked from our bulletin page, and you click that link to go to YouVersion, and there's a statement, and it says, even when or especially when life is upside down, we follow Jesus by our next steps. Even when, especially when life is upside down, we follow Jesus by our next steps. And so your first point on your outline is that, follow Jesus. Our first next step is follow Jesus, and that has a double entendre. It means follow Jesus as trusting Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord, did you know you can even do that today? The Bible says that God loves you, that Jesus died for you to save you from your sins, to give you abundant life here on earth, and to give you eternal life in heaven. And it starts with a decision by you, a commitment of your will, to say, I follow Christ by faith. But for us, this idea of following Jesus starts at salvation, but it is a process of walking after Him. And that's the other reason I use the children walking analogy at the beginning of my sermon today. To walk, to live a life in relationship with Jesus because that's what God intends for us. Your first scripture on your outline there is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I know I've preached it before. I've even used it for our Easter pageant gospel message. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And look at what it says there. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Can I get an amen for God's grace? Amen. I think we need a better amen than that. Can I get an amen for God's grace? Amen. 
It's by God's grace you've been saved. That all of us were dead in our transgressions. We were separated from God. We had no hope of life on this earth, or certainly not of eternal life in heaven. We were destined to eternity, separated from God in eternal torment in hell. But Jesus gave his life to save us. And we follow him because we love him. The second next step on your outline is get baptized. Get baptized. We are a Baptist church. It is in our name. Originally, when we came along as Baptists, as a different sort of theology, we were called Anabaptist. Anna, again, baptized. Because these were folks that had grown up in churches that baptized as infants. And people began to study the Scripture in Greek, and they began to say, hey, wait a second. The only people getting baptized in the Bible are people who are old enough to make a faith decision for themselves to trust Jesus as their Savior, maybe not the language they'd use, but the language I'd use. And then after they have become a Christian, a Christ follower, then they are baptized as a symbol of that new life in Christ. So some of you may have been baptized as an infant, may have been baptized as a child, And I would say to you, would you consider what God's Word says? And this isn't going to be a study on baptism today. I'm just hitting this real quick with one scripture. But if you haven't already, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, just a few pages back in your paper Bible, just a click or two over in your electronic Bible, verses 3 and 4. It says, or don't you know... That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that when we baptize somebody through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When we baptize somebody in the water in this tank that's on the other side of that screen there, or you baptize them outside in a bathtub, in a swimming pool, wherever you are baptized, we put somebody all the way under out of the water, number one, because we're not going to hold them under. That wouldn't be cool. But most important has come. Now, we know there's the ongoing struggle with the sinfulness in our life, and that won't go away until we get to heaven. But that's why we ask people to get baptized, to get baptized like Jesus was and as Jesus was commanded. Your third next step is invite others. Invite others. It should be normative. That's a fancy word for normal. It should be what we expect That if we are followers of Jesus, we don't just come here with one another every week, but that we should be saying to people that we know, hey man, let me tell you the difference Jesus makes in my life because we're growing with him. We're excited about our relationship with him. And yeah, we're not shoving it down people's throats. We're not beating them over the head with the Bible, but kindly and with grace, We're living in such a way that we're attractive to anybody who looks at us because we love others and we think rationally through issues. So we've got faith and reason working together and it changes who we are. And because we're becoming more like Christ, we say to folks, hey, you need to come along with me. You need to read the Bible with me. Let's pray together. You need to come to church with me. You need to come to Sunday school with me. You need to come to Bible study with me. Because there's a difference that following Jesus makes in your life. And it should be the norm for us to invite people. Now, I know it's crazy now, right? And you might say, well, I'm not going to invite my friends to church because they're not going to come. COVID. They're going shopping. They're going to work. 
They're going to ball games. They got no excuse for anything else. Don't let people use COVID as an excuse. Now, granted, if they have a health issue and they need to stay home, let them stay home. But email them the link and say, hey, here's where you can come to our church every Sunday and you can hear God's word preached. You can sing with us. And if you don't sing good, it's great when you're home alone because nobody can hear you. Except for maybe your cat who runs upstairs or something. No, I don't want to hear him sing. But we invite others. Think about those terrible infomercials. You know, on a Saturday afternoon when you turn on the TV and you're hoping to find some sports and they're trying to sell you something, not just a short commercial, but like a super long infomercial, and the people are like too happy about things. Hey, let me show you how to do it. And you're like, oh, no. Change the channel. Change the channel. The reason they do that infomercial is they believe the product they're selling makes a difference, right? That it's not only a weed eater, but it's an edger. And hey, it also has this attachment where it can be a blower. And But wait, there's more, right? And if you act now, we'll throw in this and this as well. I mean, this is how they do that, right? It's the formula for an infomercial. Now, we're not doing that sort of mess when we're talking about Jesus. But my point is, if we believe Jesus makes a difference in our life, shouldn't we be an infomercial 24-7, 365? Not getting in people's nerves, not trying, hey, but wait, no, 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 not, not all that crass stuff. But kindly, lovingly, inviting people to a relationship with Jesus and inviting people to a relationship with us where they might learn about a relationship with Jesus. In your Bibles in Luke chapter 15, turn back there. Luke chapter 15, a few pages over from where you're at in Romans. We have a scripture that reminds us of the value of one. Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 7, is in the midst of the parable of the lost sheep. If you haven't already or you haven't in a while, I would tell you to go back and read Luke chapter 15. There are three different parables that demonstrate the great value of one person with a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. But what does it say there in verse 3 through 7? Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of them has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. There's probably 99 plus of us here today, and heaven is happy that we are worshiping together today. But if one lost person was in this room and were to walk down this aisle at the end, Heaven would rejoice more over that. If one lost person who's online would make a decision to trust Christ as their Savior, today heaven would rejoice over that. We should be inviting others to consider a relationship with Jesus, inviting others into relationship with us, inviting others to church. Now point number four, our fourth next step, follows our third next step, and that is belong together. Those two are hand in hand. God made us for relationships. We're relational beings. Now, we have different sized relational Legos, right? Some of you are like one of those rectangular Legos that has the uh, three times two, so it has six bumps on the top, right? 
And those six bumps, and you can have six close relationships with people. Some of you have, you know, just the, the square Lego, four bumps on the top, right? You can have four close relationships. Some of you are like, I'm the little Lego with the two bumps, and I can only have space in my life for two close relationships. Some of you might be like, I got one bump, and that's my spouse, hopefully, right? I know they're not called bumps, but I'm speaking in colloquial terms. I don't know how big your Lego is. But I know that God made you for relationships. God made you to be in relationship with others, other believers in Jesus, other people who are not believers in Jesus because they need to be believers in Jesus. And you've made room on your Lego to invite them in to say, hey, you need to spend time with me so I can live a life of Christ in front of you. But as believers, we've got to spend time together in church in Sunday school, in Bible study, in small groups, one-on-one, and Sunday morning and the stuff we do here is just the beginning. We need to hang out with one another and influence one another and do life together. And I know that's crazy and amazing right now, but I'd ask you, who's in your bubble? That's a term we use now in COVID, right? You got your bubble. Sports teams are in a bubble. But who's in your bubble? Your sphere of relationships that you try to treat somewhat as normal even though COVID is going on. Maybe your family, maybe your coworkers, maybe a few close friends. Who do you belong together with? And who can you find a way in the midst of COVID to invite to belong together with you? You can still call them on the phone. You can FaceTime them. You can Zoom them. There's all sorts of technological ways we can try to include people and stay in touch with them. We belong together. You're in Luke. Turn a couple pages over to the right to the next gospel of John. John chapter 17. Jesus' prayer just before he's to go to the crucifixion. And he prays for all believers at all times. That means us. And look at what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Jesus wants us to belong together. We live in different places. We speak different languages. We belong to different churches, but we are the body of Christ. He wants us to belong. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that one another, our caring for one another, shows the world that we are his. Go on then. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. How we love each other, how we belong together, demonstrates to the world that we belong to Jesus. Remember what I said at the top of the sermon, even when, especially when life is upside down, We follow Jesus by our next steps. Your fifth next step is begin giving. We talk about giving here and stewardship in terms of your time, your talent, and your treasures. It's not just about your money. Matter of fact, your money's the last thing God wants. He wants your faith. And when you give Him your faith and you're growing in relationship with Him, then giving Him your time, your talent, and your treasure should come naturally. There's something, however, that a regular tither knows that a sporadic giver doesn't know. And I'm not trying to bait you or anything here. I'm just speaking what I believe is truth. And that's that idea that it's not about your money. It's about your faith. It's about a relationship, trusting God to provide. 
And until you do that regularly, you don't have the opportunity to see Him do that for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 reminds us of that. It's a touchstone passage for Christian giving, and we'll use it now in this topical sermon in this format that I'm using today. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver and is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. The Bible promises us that as we're faithful to God, God will be faithful to us and we'll have all we'll need. And He can do all things for us. Moving on to your sixth next step. Start serving. Start serving. Around here we use a thing called a shape survey. If you've never filled out a shape survey, there's some on the information counter out back. If you're online and you like one, just email office at southviewbaptist.org. We'll send one to you. But the shape surveys that are available here, and shape stands for your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, or your passions, excuse me, and your experience. And we look at all these things of how God made you uniquely. And key to that is your spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts that are given to you when you were born again as a believer that you may or may not know you have because you haven't developed them. That God shaped you to serve Him. You're in 2 Corinthians. Turn back a few pages to Romans chapter 12. There are three key passages in the Bible that talk about your spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. But Romans 12, verse 4 and 5, just so we get a view of that. It says, Just as each of you have one body with many members, so these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Aren't you glad that you have two feet? And aren't you glad that each of those feet have five toes? Hopefully you still have your five toes. It's a little harder if you're missing some. Aren't you glad that you have hands and eyes and you have a sense of taste and a sense of touch and all the things that God made you with? As a body of Christ, we have different parts that serve together. And as I said, right now, we need some more of you to fill in and serve by your giftedness in Awana that starts on Wednesday night. But maybe it's not a want maybe there's some other way that God wants you to serve. If you're thinking about this, and this may be your next step, you need to talk to me, you need to talk to Pastor David, you need to talk to Myra, and you need to put your hand up and say, hey, I know God has shaped me to serve. I need to find a way to serve in this place with these folks or outside this place. We can help connect you. Let's get our seventh and final next step. That's disciple others. Leading others as you've been led. We are so thankful for our regular ministry volunteers here at Southview. Life ministry wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the fact that of the regular attenders of Southview, more than 50% of them volunteer once a month in one ministry or the other. Not only do you give faithfully, you serve faithfully. But discipling others is through these vehicles we have here. Sunday school, Awana, The Deep, Vacation Bible School, 
this day of resurrection, these things that we do that are about growing ourselves as Christ followers, but helping others to grow as Christ followers. In this next year, you're going to hear more about real life discipleship and disciple shift. These is a, are a different way of doing small group discipleship that we'll be introducing to our church, having some folks going away and getting trained and having them come back and saying, hey, you can stay in the Sunday school class you're in, but if you do want to do things a little bit differently, and we're meeting at this time of the week or that time of the week, not necessarily Sunday morning at 11, so we can have more time together. It's an accountable, multiplying way to disciple others. We'll continue what we're doing, but we're going to add that because we need the opportunity for some folks to go deeper. Turn in your Bibles, our final scripture this morning, to Hebrews chapter 3. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, the writer says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need one another to belong together and to disciple others. That's who we are in Christ. So your application questions, there's just two today. And that first one says, which next step do I need to take? If you're looking at those seven next steps, you see them on your sermon outline. You can see them on the wall out here. Which one do you need to take? Maybe you're like, I've been baptized, but I don't belong to a group where I'm getting fed, where I'm growing in Christ. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Today, you can start on our bulletin page. On our website, it's also on our bulletin page on our website too. But you can find a Sunday school class. And yeah, it's a little awkward to be the new guy, but you're the new guy sitting at home in your you know, easy chair at 11 o'clock today. You can do that. For your kids and our teenagers, we're emailing those uh, lessons so that they can do that. You can be here on Wednesday night as well. But it may be that your next step is I need to begin giving. It may be that your next step is, I need to find a way that I can be a part of discipling others. So you answered that question. Let's look at your second question. How will I accomplish that next step? What are you going to do differently? What are you going to stop doing to make time to start doing? What are you going to give up in order that you can do something new? And who's going to hold you accountable for that? Even though I've preached for 20-something minutes now, If you don't think through these next last two questions, hopefully you don't feel like you just wasted your next step. But I'm asking you to let the rubber meet the road and take the next step. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, we're challenged by seven different scripture passages. Each of them we could preach all on its own. But based on the nature of what we're trying to do today, to consider and encourage us to take the next right step for us. So, Father, I pray that we would be obedient to whatever you've called us to and to take the step that we need to take. And you'd help us with consistency. You'd help us to grow like Jesus. And if there's anybody here or anybody online that needs to trust Christ as their Savior, that they would make that first step today too. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.